Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Travel medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, Dr. Santos here, your pediatric infectious disease doctor and researcher. And this is Praz the Sandman, melting away your consciousness through my layers and waves of anesthesia over the radio waves. All right, my friends. So we have reached the end of our supervillain series, but before I kill you. Usually we don't get more listeners by threatening to kill the ones we already have but I just... before i kill you co-host there you, <laughs> there you go i know we started off very very believable talking about drowning in radioactive water yeah. and kicked it up a notch talking about our space cadets all right this time i've got a couple other things that i had medical questions about and arguments over and they center on volcanoes Woo. Uh, <laughs> I I mean I don't I don't know how medical that we can get with with volcanoes. You're pretty much like you're burned. You have hit upon a great argument. So first, I'm going to give you the bond tie-in so we can get that out of the way because I finally finished my movie marathon. Oh, okay, all right. In the movie, you only live twice, mm-hmm. 1967. The fifth Bond film stars Sean Connery. Screenplay written by Ruald Dahl. Yes, he of Charlie. The Willy Wonka guy. Oh, seriously? No way. That's how he got his start? Uh, I don't know if it's how he got his start, but he definitely wrote a Bond screenplay, and that was the one. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And it features famous Bond villain Blofeld as head of Spectre in a volcano base. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, fun fact, the volcano featured in the film, Mount Shimiodake, erupted in March of 2018, which is the sixth time it's erupted since the film. Oh, nice. This started with an argument between my brother and I, who the gist of the argument centered around what would happen to somebody who fell into a volcano. Now, you're correct, Santosh, when if we bring up the long and short of it, you'd burn. 
But the central tenet of our argument was, would you fall into the lava and melt, a la Hollywood style? Okay. Or would you smack face first into the lava, break your neck, and burst into flame, a la physics? Oh, oh, I like the the actual method of of death. All right. Yeah, Hollywood versus physics, the physiology of um, yeah. So I mean, we're we're thinking about, for instance, like like Gollum, like how he kind of went down and sank, or if you'd hit the surface almost like you'd hit a slab of concrete. I thought this was just medicine adjacent (laughs) that we could talk about other supervillain and science deaths. So what would happen if you fell into a volcano? And the only reason I bring this up is there have been people who have fallen into volcanoes and survived. Not many. Uh, what? No. It can happen. Oh, okay, okay. That's right. Uh, you didn't expect that. You thought I was just looking for an excuse huh. to talk about Well, yeah. And I was, but I found a good excuse. <laughs> First, let's get the lingo down. Magma, liquid hot magma, is molten rock beneath the Earth's surface. Sure. Lava is magma that's come above the surface, usually through an eruption. So if you fall into a volcano, technically it's magma that's Sure. Involved. When we're talking about volcano deaths, we're not talking about famous ones such as what happens in pyroclastic flows like the eruption of Mount Vesuvius or the displacement of people from their homes and all the various things that happen with many other volcanic eruptions around the world along with seismic activity and tsunamis. We're talking strictly about the lava. Okay. In 2002, German researcher Richard Roscoe wanted to test the theory that, you know, due to lava's high density and resistance to flow, a person would smack onto the surface of a lava pit rather than sinking into it. So how did he do this? He tossed a huge bag of garbage from a height Hmm. that broke the crust and submerged into molten lava. Okay. At the height he threw the garbage from, a human also would break through the crust. But Mm, here's the problem. Humans are largely bags of <laughs> right yeah sure it's true. 60 to 70 percent sure depending on the age yeah lava and i'm no geologist or volcanologist okay. but lava in general is about three times denser than water right yes and so just before i even go into the next argument that means that Something that is more dense will be on the bottom. So even if you sank through the crust and into the lava, you would very quickly float to the top and then combust. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you'd you'd Ooh. reach, you'd get hot enough to reach a flashpoint, and then light, light on fire. Right. But you'd do so while floating on top of the lava. The thing is, if it's molten rock, wouldn't the rock that you fall on? Wouldn't you fall underneath the rock and be trapped underneath it? Well, oh, that's still... Praz, I'm glad you bring that up because the viscosity of lava or how thick and gooey it is, making meaning how easy would it be for you to sink into it, is about 10, uh, I'm sorry, not 10, 100,000 times greater than water, which means falling into lava is a lot like falling into really hot peanut butter. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I mean, I, I kind of relish the thought of falling into like room temperature peanut butter. That sounds delightful. Yes, that sounds delicious. Let's test that theory next. (laughs) (laughs) So now that you've fallen into this very dense peanut buttery substance, how hot is it? Well, 
Let's check with the U.S. Geological Survey. The coolest lava oozes like mozzarella at a chilly 570 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, five hundred seventy. food analogies. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, cool, huh? The Hawaiian volcanoes have a baseline medium temperature of about 900, but fast-moving flows such as those following an eruption can get up to 1,600 Fahrenheit. And in the volcanic bowl, that good old lava ramen, as high as 2,000 degrees. Oh, boy. That's a lot of degrees. Okay. <laughs> so wait, how, like, how fast are we thinking that we'd melt or... Your lungs would combust and melt before the rest of you. Oh, oh, fun. So you, you would essentially inhale and your lungs would burn and you'd have just enough time to feel it while the rest of you was bursting into flame and it might distract you from that. However... Despite the high temperatures, lava will not kill you if it briefly touches you. This is why we get those swamis who can walk across oh, burning flow. Gotcha, gotcha. And the yeah. same thing is true of like walking across hot coals or something like that. Right. Yeah. So you do get a very nasty burn. And by nasty, I mean minimum, second degree, depending on time of contact. Sure, sure. But unless you fell in and couldn't get out, like quicksand, another false myth, which we'll tackle later this episode. Okay. <laughs> you, got, you got excited about that for a second. With prolonged contact, the amount of lava coverage and the length of time it was in contact with your skin... All of these would be important factors in severity, as would time relative to intensive care and age. So your clothing and hair would immediately catch on fire as you attempt to climb or kind of swim your way out of the lava. Okay. As you're doing that, your hands and flesh would burn. Oh. And, and as you inhale to scream from that, you would suck in scorched air yeah. that would also ignite in your lungs. So not terrible. I think it sounds like almost like the um, that Star Wars prequel. No, no, I mean it's words, okay as long as you have the high ground. Yeah, like it sounds like the scene where Anakin falls into the water and then he comes out and he's like burning yeah. all over the place and his voice is. Are we saying <laughs> that of all the movies that Star Wars Episode Three got lava burns the most right? They got it the <laughs> least wrong. Of all the people we have to, and we're like we're going across like some pretty amazing movie makers and some iconic, you know, volcano scenes. We have George friggin' Lucas to thank. All right, to be clear, this is by no means a commentary on um, on the quality of the rest of the film. Just just that of, one uh, <laughs> far away. Yeah, yeah. So there were two cases at the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory where geologists yeah. fell into lava. In both instances, the lava was not very deep and they were able to get out quickly. They ended up in the hospital as a scary and painful experience. And here's what happened to them. Uh, a, in one, a guy fell half into a lava river on Kilauea and the scientist with him grabbed him so only one of his legs went into the lava. So there's two things you need to know about lava flows in Hawaii. First, as we've said already, it's very dense, so you don't sink far. So the soles okay. of his shoes almost immediately melted. Like it, his shoe basically fused to his foot. Volcanic glass is oh. a very good insulator. And wow. that's what surrounds most lava. 
So he actually kept it to uh, the point where his pant leg caught on fire, so his leg only suffered second-degree burns being insulated by the volcanic glass and the khakis. And his shoe fused to his foot, so he oh, suffered okay. volcanic very glass? sensitive area. So he went okay. in above the knee. The lava against his leg chilled over very quickly to form a tough, insulating skin of glass. So he got serious burns, but none so serious that required him losing the leg. But if you're there for longer than about two minutes, you'll croak, and that is regardless of how much of you happens to be within the lava. Uh, and that does start coming up more on the Anakin issue, because what would happen with even one limb submerged would be what you see happens to the vast majority of his limbs, meaning scorched lungs, uh, burn severe enough where if your leg doesn't oh. burn and then melt, the flesh would melt off the bone, but the bone would stay uh, you know, humming along for at least a few minutes beyond. And then you get no oxygen as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, that yeah. is why you can survive falling into lava, but I don't advise it. <laughs> Wouldn't be a good way to go. Well, I mean, it's scarier to me that they're just like, I mean, I know they're not everywhere, but there is just like small lava calderas and stuff. That, like, aside from having to worry about, oh, don't go near that, like, active area of eruption, that, like, there's just other places where there's just lava. They were, yeah. like, walking along and all of a sudden, oh, look. And yeah, look at that beautiful well, that sunset. Lava! Yeah, it's not one of those. Okay. Uh, most of these scientists who do go are wearing at least some degree of heat retardant. Oh, and that gives them a few extra, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 right, seconds right. longer than they okay. would have if they were unprotected. And in a lot of cases, suffering that much heat that quickly will send you into shock. Um, and that will cause its own problems as our infectious disease doctor. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. I mean, I, but I think we've all really dealt with patients who've gone into shock because yeah, when you have tissue damage and you just trigger the inflammatory cascade like that, um, you know, and, and pros you dealing with it from an emergency standpoint as well, mm-hmm. you know, all, all of a sudden there, you have to deal with the entire body rather than an isolated affected limb because of circulating cytokines and shutting down blood supply to everywhere. And, you know, the, it's, it's not a good look. Yeah. Well, Santos. Do you happen to know the difference between first, second, third, and fourth degree burn? For uh, I, are we using that system anymore? Um, the the most common system that I see nowadays is partial thickness burn or full thickness burn. Hmm. I know. So I don't know that the degrees of burn are used uh, anymore. I have worked very briefly with uh, burn patients, but I haven't gone over to where they actually have burn wards um and burn services like they do for instance at la county um there's as far as i know i i'm actually unfamiliar with fourth degree burns myself the equivalents for thickness do correlate to the old system of degrees first degree are known as superficial Mm -hmm. burns they affect only the outer layer of skin which means the burn site would be red painful and dry with no blisters like a sunburn Long-term damage is rare and usually just consists of an increase or decrease in the skin color. Second degree 
It's like most of your household okay. burns. Second degree burns involve the epidermis. So these are known as partial thickness burns. So the burn site will appear red, blistered, maybe swollen and painful. These can happen if you actually get a severely untreated sunburn that blisters up. Or if for some reason you're on a hot surface for too long right. or it can go deeper Third than simply the, derm the epidermal layer. Burns actually destroy the epidermis entirely, go into the dermis, and may go into the subcutaneous tissue. So the burn site, mm -hmm. now instead of having a slight change in color, will now appear white or charred. So in these cases... Um, all the tissue in the full in the skin is essentially destroyed. So the skin appears charred. There's no blood flow going through it anymore. Uh, those burns are actually not right. painful and because the nerves themselves charred, are also destroyed. The scary thing about it, from my perspective, uh, just like you said, Praz, is once the nerves around there are dead, you know they can't feel anything. The usual symptoms which go along with a skin and soft tissue infection or maybe even deeper infections as bacteria invade inevitably, um, they don't feel it. You know, the, the skin, the live skin around may get erythematous, which means it can get red, swollen um, if you're looking for it. Um, but it's hard to kind of distinguish from the burned area. And bacteria can get in and initiate an infection without the patient really being able to tell you what's going on. Um, and if you don't have an experienced kind of burn physician, so someone who's actually practiced in taking care of burns, then they might miss early signs and symptoms of uh, skin and soft tissue infection. So a lot of the times, you know, our friendly neighborhood surgeon and anesthesiologists are our best friends because they debride, meaning that they get rid of that dead tissue so that you know, you can save course, the live know, tissue and pervert, prevent further destruction by gangrenous and, type of infection. And I, I wish we did have Dr. Ward on for this because I'm sure he would be able to talk a little bit more about these. But fourth hmm, degree burns are you have your full thickness plus one where now you're starting to damage the underlying bones, muscles and tendons. Yeah. And as Pross said, it's instant nerve ending destruction. Fifth degree is when you start to uh, burn the bone. Six degree is you've charred the bone. The only way you're getting a six degree burn is to essentially be standing next to an atomic bomb or something that'll near instantly char the bone or letting it sit in a lava flow for any extended length of time. So the reason we don't really use fourth, fifth, and sixth degree is because by and large, anything beyond a full thickness more than 30 seconds. burn tends oh, to boy. be incompatible with life. And it's really more of an academic distinction. And now I've had my fun with that, so we can move on to some other bond deaths. The designation of the spy, along with the 007 agent, is always called bond. That's why they replace him every few years. He oh, oh the, but it's yeah, off like camera. old age or something. Or the flu. <laughs> old age or measles so, <laughs> the flu the I flu or measles might be one of them i'm sure they vaccinate the hell out of how difficult stuff. it was to type can you actually die from falling into a volcano and oh. then hunt down evidence that showed people who it had happened to and have results <laughs> the famous bond film goldfinger one of the ways that the titular villain 
elected to kill somebody was by painting them solid gold, and then she died of skin suffocation. And as 007 explains it to M, he says, it's been known to happen to cabaret dancers. It's all right, so long as you leave a small bare patch at the base of the spine to allow the skin to breathe. The film crew took this seriously, meaning when they filmed this Goldfinger scene, a physician was present during filming, and afterward the makeup was removed as quickly as possible so their actress didn't die for real. Could this actually happen? Well, Santosh, as as you remarked earlier, Mythbusters beat us to this. They did. This was Adam. Uh, He actually, Adam Savage, had himself painted, and then I believe on camera... Had his rectal temperature checked. <laughs> uh, I must have missed that episode. I, I mean, do they know didn't, they didn't I show the probe going painted in. Yeah, one of the build- they did a core temperature check and actually watched to uh, see if he got hyperthermic. Well, I also know that they painted Carrie from the build team in paint from head to toe and carefully watched to see how she <laughs> felt. I, I don't know if thermometers were involved. <laughs> A lot of what we learned in this is, one, no, it is not fatal to be covered head-to-toe in body paint, which uh, would be very quickly apparent if you've ever walked down the street and seen one of those robot people performing. Yes. So they're painted. They are. But you have to use paint meant for the skin. So, for example, acrylic paint is meant for canvas only because most acrylic paints contain ammonia, formaldehyde, and heavy metals. If you covered yourself head-to-toe in that, you would very likely die, but not from the reasons you'd think. So not from skin suffocation? No, from heavy metal poisoning and toxicity. Uh, Because a lot of those can be absorbed through the skin in the paint pigments. Yeah. So really it would depend on what's actually in the paint and its ingredients. Yep. In fact... Uh, can you think of another famous movie character uh, who was covered in paint? Hint. We were talking about um, robot well, humans on the street. Do you so, call them like tin men on the street? Oh, yeah. Gosh. So Wizard of Oz, <laughs> right. the very first tin yeah. man, Buddy Epson, used okay. white clown makeup, already a mistake, that they covered with aluminum dust to get the oh, tin look for his he role. Get poisoning. Two weeks later, he was in the ICU, unable yeah. to breathe, his skin tinged blue, and was there for a prolonged period when doctors discovered his lungs his were coated lungs? with aluminum dust. Oh my god, he got like inhalation uh, pneumoconiosis. From body paint. Now, due to his hospitalization, another actor, Jack Haley, took over the role. So there's two tin men in The Wizard of Oz. If you watch real closely, you can pick it up. And this time... The aluminum powder was mixed into the paint instead of brushed on because aluminum is not no, traditionally but, yeah. absorbed through the skin. And as a result, Jack Haley did not suffer any ill effects oh. except for an infection when the makeup <laughs> got in his eye. Oh. So heat stroke and allergic infections are real possibilities if you are covering yourself in body paint, but suffocation is unlikely. So just make sure that for those of you cosplaying or... Hollywood roboting or auditioning for future Wizard of Oz roles that you make sure to get a human appropriate body. Now, I believe um, tar can actually suffocate the skin. Yes. Like if you're covered in enough of it. Yes. If you tar and feather somebody that absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If you each had to name something that you were deeply worried about as a child that never quite panned (laughs) out 
as an adult. What, what would you like say the those fears consist remember of? from child? Like, yeah, I was pretty sure Skeletor was going to kill me. Like, I, I didn't know <laughs> from where he was going to come well, from. I never got a... I, like, if I walked through the wrong door <laughs> at the wrong time of night, like, I was pretty sure I'd get, like, chopped in half. Because for some reason, my brain was like, He-Man's not real, but Skeletor is going to kill me. <laughs> that was my my brilliant little seven-year-old brain. Yeah, and you grew up and you're uh, like, oh, uh, everybody has a Skeletor inside them. <laughs> that fear didn't really pan out. Right? Well, Skeletor in is closet. in your closet. <laughs> I, want <to> meet, <laughs> I want to meet the rich old couple. That, oh, we have so many Skeletors in our closet. <laughs> what about you, Praz? Any fears from your childhood that didn't pan out? I've never been... Um... Kidnapped, taken to a secret temple, <laughs> had my heart ripped off, and then thrown into lava. This was your. This is Praz growing up like an Indian American over here. And I, I, you know what? I'm going to go with you. <laughs> I think I remember seeing a temple of doom and turning to my mom and say, "Is this what yes. we do? <laughs> we never do that, Mama." <laughs> that was representation in Hollywood. And, 1980, whatever the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Pros did grow up in New York, so right up until the throne into a volcano <laughs> part, any of that could have happened. Wow. This yeah, is yeah. also true. Didn't have you to never be know Indians, New York. though. Could <laughs> How have about been you, absolutely Josh? anybody. Just a pissed-off <laughs> dude walking down the sidewalk. You know what I remember growing up, always worried and secretly right. hoping I'd discover? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Quicksand? Yeah. Common theme in cartoons, actually, yes. And I think... We all watched the same Indiana Jones movies and cartoons, and, you know, you'd be wandering along, and you'd fall into quicksand, and you'd just slowly sink, kind of how everybody oh, thought you would sink and, into and lava yeah, as well. You're right, quicksand is everywhere. You know, it was, kind of a, it was kind of a way to tell people you were in a foreign land. Pretty much every single, like, action cartoon had a quicksand scene of some kind. Yeah, oh, holy crap, there was so much quicksand. Yep. Kids today, yeah. don't worry about quicksand. Well, Why is that? Right? Because we've all, we've all seen the films. The character gets caught in quicksand, begging people for help, but the more you struggle, the further down you sink until eventually you disappear, leaving behind oh my sand gosh, and maybe Bride. a hat. They called it differently, right? Like, that was lightning sand. That, that one, she just like, just sank. Oh my god, Josh, is that a thing? Yes and no. Quicksand itself usually consists... I really should have found a geologist for this episode. Oh, well. Welcome to the non-medicine episode itself, usually... <laughs> Is that your Connery again? So, quicksand usually consists of sand or clay or salt that's become so waterlogged and so saturated, usually in areas like river deltas or swamp ground. So, it's actually liquefied underneath when the water and sand separate. And the friction between the sand particles is reduced, so it can't support your weight anymore, and at first you do sink. The question is, would you actually sink far enough to drown? A researcher from the University of Amsterdam saw signs by a lake warning visitors of local patches of quicksands that were dangerous. So he took a sample of the quicksand back to his lab, analyzed the proportions of clay, salt, water, and sand, and then recreated quicksand for his experiment Instead of people, he used aluminum beads that had the same density as humans. Hmm. He put them on top of the sand, and then to simulate the flailing of a panicking human, 
he shook the whole model and waited to see what would happen if, okay. the, you know, the beads would drown. And the answer for the beads and people is no. They sink a little, but that some of that struggling does cause the sand okay. to mix with the water and increase the buoyancy, increase the density, meaning you'll start okay. to float back up to the top. Hmm. And anything equivalent to human density would never sink oh. more than halfway. So how how are people drowning in quicksand? Uh, uh, I mean, are, are they? Is the answer that they just don't? Or they fall head first? Well, yes. If they fall head first, yes, that would be. But the reason is, if you look at areas where quicksand is located, often near heavily okay. watered areas, deltas, marshes, even if quicksand doesn't pull you right under, if you can't get free in time, a high tide or heavy rain can sweep across you changing the density and then causing you to sink further or just drowning you while you're half stuck. Hmm. It also brought up, you know how everybody throws a vine over a nearby branch and then you pull somebody out bit by bit? Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but that also would not work Hmm. because his re- the same scientist's research showed that just to release a single foot, like to be pulled up through a full foot, you'd have to provide a force in this instant sort okay. of dense vacuum of 100,000 newtons, the equivalent of strength to lift okay. a medium-sized car. So the second you're halfway sunk in, you're effectively on your own to get out because the people who are trying to pull you each have to be able to lift a car on their own to advance oh, you up oh, point at a oh, time. Oh, okay. Wow. So, like, okay, you can't just, like, pull them out with the vine or whatever. You, you've got to have a lot of strength. You could seriously hurt that person. Rip their tendons, break uh, their the connections of their ligaments in applying that much force to somebody. So you are in more danger from the people who want to help you pulling you out of quicksand than you would be to just, you are supposed to essentially okay. try and stay calm and then slowly wiggle your limbs until you create enough space that water can kind of flood in and recreate that buoyancy in the area surrounding your limbs so they're no longer stuck quick Mm. in the sand. And then you want to gradually lean yourself back until you are floating on your back and swim out. There's a whole technique to this. Nice. Okay. There so, is. but that if you follow those rules, so you can you can get out safely. Quicksand in exotic locales such as jungles, yeah. swamps, and bogs, you can survive, and really is not the threat that we thought. You know who is most at danger from what we're going to talk oh. about? Lightning quicksand. Oh, really? what? farmers. Wait, wait, hold on. A, there is such a thing as lightning quicksand. And be farmers? Dry quicksand or lightning sand is the same equivalent as falling into a full silo. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I actually, I know about this quite well. Um, All right, fine. Here we go. Growing up in Iowa. (laughs) So happy. Listen to that joy. Growing up in Iowa, that was one of the huge fears for Midwestern farmers was that you'd have a full silo. And then, um, you know, you'd climb to the top because you needed to do something at the very top of the silo. And then you would fall. 
And, you know, the, I think the density of the grain was just the right amount where you could sink and get trapped. And there was no way without getting that person out uh, because the height of the silo, like there was no piece of equipment that was high enough where you could attach a rope and get it down quickly enough. And you, you know, fill your lungs or mouth just like water and you'd get stuck in kind of slow drown. But you couldn't open the doors of the silo either to let them out because they'd just be stuck in the middle of this giant, giant pile of this cylinder of grain. And I can't remember, though, there was like a specific reason that farmers would need to go to the top of the silo to to step on the grain or something like that. And I don't know why. You are the closest thing we have no, to a farming expert here, yes. so I'm not. I'm not going to be able to correct. I can that. say confidently, I never worried about this growing up, nor did anyone else. <laughs> no, no, no. These were, um, I, and I mean, there's nothing medical to do about it. You needed heavy equipment um, that rescue teams, like fire and you know, uh, policemen, like nobody had access to the right equipment to help victims like this and so it was one of the scariest so, and deaths. that's the, and the and the real danger from this comes because it is dry yeah. quicksand as we talked about with the earlier one wet quicksand what's helping to keep you afloat and from sinking is the fact that there is water kind of decreasing the friction between these different sand pits or or grains but when you're in just pure grain with only local moisture and nothing else really separating it, every time you exhale, the volume of your chest is reduced and grain will then rush in to fill that gap. So it's going to make it progressively harder for you to breathe even as right. you sink more. And every bit of movement you do just creates new empty pockets that more grain rushes into. So there was a case report of this published in oh, 2002. Wow. Of a, man, of a man who fell into a grain store late one evening on a farm in Germany. And by the time firefighters were able to establish which of the eight tanks he was in, the grain was already up to his armpits and acting like classic quicksand. So a doctor was lowered down on a rope to give him oxygen, and a harness was placed around the man's chest. But soon he was having agonizing chest pain from the pressure, yeah. as we already talked about, mm -hmm. trying to pull somebody that's the one, out. The, the harness is, is squeezing gonna... and the grain around you is squeezing mm. like a vice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the doctor developed an asthma attack brought oh. on by the dust and pollen. This keeps getting better. So they pulled the doctor out and the firefighters, clever buggers that yeah. they were, instead lowered a cylinder over the man's body then sucked the grain out with an industrial vacuum so it couldn't fall oh, more that's tightly awesome. around him. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, there's another kind of scary component to this, which is that, you know, the grain is there in the silo, and, you know, you're trying to save a human life, which is, of course, you know, that's number one priority in there. But that grain, that massive amount of grain in there is also the farmer's livelihood, right? Um, you've got tons and tons of grain sitting in that huge silo um, ready to be delivered. I don't know how much money it's worth to that farmer who's worked so hard to grow it and harvest it. It's a multifaceted kind of scary thing. Yeah. There now a lot of the Midwestern rural fire departments carry along with them a piece of equipment called a grain rescue tube 
and there is a grain bin safety week because this is apparently a very dangerous thing that is still prevalent in farming communities. Uh, In 2016 alone, Purdue University's Agricultural Confined Spaces Project documented 60 fatal confined space accidents, 29 of them directly related to grain entrapments. Hmm. 30 people in a year. Wow. So who would have thought that all of us who grew up worrying about quicksand really only needed to worry if we were on farms? Know anybody this happened to? No, no, I never. Um, so it's it's hard to say that like I didn't live in rural Iowa without Josh guffawing. Mm. But <laughs> no, I was in a city of you know a hundred thousand people plus, and so uh, my friends, none of them were growing up on farms. Um, but yeah, this was a common. You know, we would hear about it through like friends of friends and that kind of a thing. It was a scary thing to contemplate, especially when someone says, oh, X, Y, Z, someone's lost. I saw them out by the silos because number one is you don't know which one and they're all, you know, I don't know how many feet tall, 30, 50 feet tall. So you go and you peek in each one, hoping you don't fall in, calling out for the person who's lost. And then, you know, if you don't see a head or an arm or a, you know, torso or something that there's no way of finding that person. Indeed, they just could be lost in a grain silo until you're able to like, yeah. you know, clear the silo out. So the take home so, lesson here is all these exotic locations and all the bond villain had to do was just chuck hmm. them in a corn silo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would have, you know, it's, it sounds really freaking weird, but like, you know how the bond villain loved to gloat, <laughs> Over the slowly dying Bond. Like the classic one is the Bond strapped to the table with the laser, mm-hmm. you know, about to bisect him growing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all these things, there was an escape scenario. And with the hmm. silo, there's no escape scenario. That's what the Bond villain should know, There's no good ones anyway. So Hollywood, take note. Now, the last thing I have to do, because it's not a true episode if I haven't <laughs> irritated Dr. Santosh at least once. Okay. Oh, come on. You didn't part. get close enough with some... Okay, go Are ahead. you gentlemen... Are you gentlemen familiar with Rule 34 of the internet? Rule 34? Uh, never get mm. caught up in a land war in Asia? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only slightly less famous. No. Um, <laughs> Rule 34 dictates that if a thing exists, there is a fetish uh, or porn of it. Why 34? Oh, I should have known this. It is actually called Rule 34, right? So, yeah, it is actually called Rule 34 of the Internet. If it exists, there is pornography of it. And it turns (laughs) out that now that we're no longer scared of quicksand, for some people, it's become a sexual thing. Some people. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) And there are sinkers and watchers. Yeah. And these are people who do derive uh, sexual pleasure from immersing themselves and then subsequently extracting themselves from quicksand. And they maintain a list with GPS trackers of quicksand patches wow, in the Wow, they United really States. researched this. Oh, come on. Man. <laughs> okay. 
Let's let's sidetrack just slightly. Right. First of all, are they naked I when they're sinking? Slam my head into my laptop. Okay, so, not always. <laughs> not all. Not not always. Oh, okay. Well, that okay. That's saying something. Okay, so according to Know Your Meme, uh, Rule Thirty Four is an internet adage. It was. Something that said user Electric Eggs posted a thread titled Ask Me About Inventing Rule 34, in which he claimed to have created the comic with his sister after learning the adage in an internet relay chat. You guys remember IRC? Rule 34, there is porn of it. No uh, no exceptions. This is is tied in. It is a very fringe (laughs) section of uh, the people interested in various aspects of BDSM. And again, it has to do with surrendering or being watched. And I don't know that it is a huge fetish, but the fact that it exists at all is fascinating to me. So in what I'm going to throw out there as just the most casual, just the tip Hmm. ever in the United States, there is the quicksand quadrangle located in Breathitt County, Kentucky, lies on the western margin of the eastern Kentucky coalfield of the Appalachian Basin and has apparently a large number of quicksand deposits. I'm going to go ahead and say don't involve, get involved with this fed. I mean, you know, the, the kind of thing dominated and, you know, being controlled. You know, when it's another human and the safety of a bedroom, you're safe. You're okay. Mother Nature does not care about you. She will destroy you. Then why you. does her Please sand hold this another so mother fetish? <laughs> you know what? I will be there like two, no, like five hours with a vine. Just sit tight, so, Josh. Folks, try that's to keep it for uh, my supervillain series. I promise. <laughs> One day, find one day a straw. Just keep call. your head up. Hey, buddy. <laughs> what you? What you? Question one: Is it right wet quitting? And and the question from Doctor Sanchez should be: uh, Josh, are you in jail? He'll be like, "Don't be ridiculous. I'm in quicksand." Miraculously getting signal. <laughs> Can you hear me now? And you know, like this episode sponsored. <laughs> That's it for this week. We will be back next week with actual medical <laughs> stories again <laughs> yeah, as we do yeah, have an upcoming episode where we get to speak with a music thanatologist don't know what that is well tune in to find out we always love to hear your comments questions and feedback this show is produced by me with a lot of help from my co-hosts and a lot of their forbearance for my whims if you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, you can find links to do that in the show notes along with any of the sources we've used this week. Or just typing. However the... tenuous. Go on. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And until next time. Happy travels, as always, everyone. Happy travels. Bye, guys. <laughs>
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 